This is Weekly Dose of Wellness, brought to you by Memorial Care Health System. Here's Deborah Howell. Welcome to the show. I am Deborah Howell, and today we'll be talking about chronic total occlusion, or CTO, including symptoms, treatment options, and risk factors. Our guest today is Dr. John Bahadurani, a board-certified interventional cardiologist affiliated with Saddleback Memorial Medical Center in Orange County. Welcome back, Dr. Bahadurani. Appreciate having you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We'll start from the beginning. What is chronic total occlusion, please? Sure, absolutely. So, uh, Chronic total occlusions, as they pertain to the coronary system, uh, are defined as 100% occlusions within the coronary arteries mm-hmm. uh, that have been present for at least three months' duration. That's it. Wow, I expected a longer... That's it. <laughs> Pretty <Okay>. simple. <laughs> All right, let's, let's get right into the symptoms associated with CTO. Okay. So, right, the symptoms are very similar to um, the symptoms someone has when um, their heart muscles put under strain. So when uh, they exercise, they may be having profound shortness of breath or chest pressure discomfort. Um, sometimes uh, just minimal activity can bring about these symptoms. Um, they can be associated with uh, nausea, diaphoresis uh, when they uh, do activities. And they can also have a substantial uh, decline in their functional capacity. Uh, In addition to that, over time, uh, chronic total occlusions can contribute to a decline in the actual heart function itself, which is known as the ejection fraction. Okay. Let me back you up just a moment. You said diaphoresis. Maybe you could explain what that is to our audience. Sure. Diaphoresis is uh, just profound uh, kind of cold sweats uh, that one develops um, with exertion. Um, It uh, is a common symptom of of people that are having uh, acute heart attacks. So what's going on in the body to cause those sweats? Right. So basically, um, when someone exercises, the um, the thing to keep in mind here is that uh, within the heart muscle, there is a concept of supply and demand of oxygen. The supply, obviously, is uh, the coronary arteries supplying the blood flow, which carries the oxygen to the heart muscle. And the demand is the actual heart muscle and the requirement of oxygen that it needs in order to function. So as someone increases their activity level, um, the oxygen demand goes up. And in normal circumstances, uh, that's not a problem. The coronary arteries are well-equipped to handle the amount of blood flow that is needed uh, to provide uh, adequate oxygen to the heart muscle. However, when someone has a blockage, in particular in this case, we're talking about 100% blockage, um, there are... um, uh, there's an inadequate amount of supply uh, to the heart muscle, thereby creating a, 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 a territory of heart muscle that is undergoing ischemic insult. And ischemic insult basically means that the um, oxygen demand of that segment of heart muscle is exceeding the arterial supply. Got it. That was very well put, and now I can really visualize what's going on in the body. Um, what are some of the risk factors for CTO? Right. So the development of CTOs um, carry the same risk factors as regular coronary artery disease does um, because uh, basically what it is, is it is coronary artery disease that has progressed to a significant level and has uh, formed a 100% blockage. So the risk factors are history of smoking, uh, a family history of coronary disease, um, hypertension, age, uh, gender, um, diabetes, 
uh, elevated cholesterol. Uh, and uh, these are all the risk factors that one can anticipate uh, in general with coronary artery disease. When you said age, are we talking about 50 plus or? Correct. Uh, we're talking about an age of uh, over 45. Okay. Okay. Just so when you say age, I was making sure people didn't think it was 80 and over. <laughs> it's like right. people need to start looking at these things at, at an earlier age. One question that I get often is, well, if my artery is 100% blocked, then how is that area of heart muscle not dead? And uh, the importance to understand here is that development of a chronic total occlusion is a slow uh, uh growing process, and it takes uh, a very long time to get to a chronic total occlusion. And what happens is uh, the body oftentimes um, develops these small hair-like blood vessels that are uh, basically natural bypasses uh, to allow blood flow to form or to allow blood flow to be supplied beyond the chronic total occlusion site. Ah. So, right. So there's an area of chronic total occlusion, and then beyond that, there's blood flow being delivered to that blood vessel via these bypass collaterals. But what we know from studies is that these collaterals, while they may be good at rest and, and at least keeping the heart muscle alive when, when people aren't doing anything, the moment they start doing activity, the amount of oxygen demand uh, on the heart is much higher than what these collaterals can supply. Now I get it. That is that is such a visual. You can just see the little tributaries going around, but they aren't big enough to support exercise. Okay. Exactly. So what are some of the treatment options for CTF? So before we get into that, let me back up a little bit. Um, you know, CTOs um, are present. Um, the, our best estimates, based on um, large contemporary estimates, is that they're prevalent up to about 18% of patients that have coronary disease. Um, and if you look at patients that have had prior open heart surgery, um, the prevalence of chronic total occlusions is even as high as 54%. Mm. Um, and patients who present with acute heart attacks, 10% of those patients are found to have CTOs. So traditionally, the treatment options have been either medical therapy or coronary artery bypass grafting. And now, uh, with the advent of uh, new, new techniques, uh, chronic total occlusion revascularization from a percutaneous approach. Um, if you wanted an exact uh, breakdown of how these things were treated in the past, historically, we can look at the data and say that 44% of CTOs were treated medically. Um, 26% of them um, were referred for bypass grafting, and only 10% of them uh, were attempted to have the uh, percutaneous revascularization. And that's based on a Canadian CTO registry data. And what is the final one, percutaneous? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Right. So percutaneous uh, CTO revascularization is what I do as an interventional cardiologist. Um, it, it is um, the same techniques uh, that we use uh, to deploy stents, uh, but we use much more vigorous, um, uh, vigorous, I guess I should say, much heavier weighted wires as well as other types of catheters and special equipment when we try to uh, cross the area of 100% blockage. And sometimes we even do techniques that uh, are very novel and, and just specific to CTOs themselves. Um, once we are able to get across the CTO segment, then we go and proceed with the deploying stents like we would as a normal blockage. Okay. Wow, what a job you have. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't trade it for the world. 
yeah so in in common language blocked blood vessels um minimally invasive catheter procedures you're just trying to open these blocked vessels and get the patient to um maybe not a hundred percent normalcy but what what is the goal right so um there are things that we know there are things that are still questionable and there are things that we believe are going to be beneficial so the things that we know uh number one we know that for sure if we're successful and i should say that in the hand of a skilled operator uh success rates can be as high as 80 to 90 percent um but if we are successful then we know for for a fact that uh, we can improve a patient's symptoms so that they uh, no longer have angina, which is the chest discomfort with exertion, or have shortness of breath when they exert themselves. And obviously, this is a huge uh, quality of life improvement for that patient. Absolutely. The second thing we know is that uh, we can decrease the need for what they call anti-anginal medications. So earlier when we discussed one of the options being medical therapy, uh, medical therapy consists of beta blockers, um, nitrates, and some other medications such as Renexa, which help to improve the myocardial efficiency. And these medications obviously have side effects, and a lot of patients don't tolerate them. So if we can do procedures that would decrease the need for antianginal medications, that's another benefit. Um, we can also decrease the need for open-heart surgery if we're successful by uh, doing these revascularization procedures. One of the traditional criticisms when you look at the data of open-heart surgery versus stenting procedures historically, we found that uh, one potential area that coronary artery bypass grafting was superior to uh, stenting was that in coronary artery bypass grafting, they got more complete revascularization. And by complete revascularization, I mean that more of the territories that were involved were adequately addressed by bypass grafts versus people that underwent stenting procedures, oftentimes they would uh, have the, quote, low-hanging fruit treated by having a stenting procedure, and then the CTOs would be left behind for just medical management. And so if we're able to uh, do these CTO procedures and be successful, then we can decrease the need for coronary artery bypass grafting. It's such good Um, work that you do. Such good work. Thank you. Thank you. Another thing that we know we can improve is the the ejection fraction, which is the uh, measure of the uh, function of the uh, left ventricle. So people that have heart failure could potentially benefit by having a CTO opened up so that uh, that area of heart muscle, if it is viable, can return to normal function. Okay. So many uh, and then, options. Right. And then we can also decrease the risk for arrhythmias because we know that uh, the presence of CTOs, which leads to ischemic territories of heart muscle, can increase the risk of a patient for developing arrhythmias, uh, both ventricular and atrial arrhythmias. Uh, And then finally, um, the thing that we do know is that um, let's say somebody has a CTO and they come back with another heart attack. Well, if the CTO has been treated and they come back with a heart attack involving a different blood vessel, generally the tolerance uh, of the heart attack is uh, better tolerated by the patient because they have improved revascularization versus somebody who has a heart attack involving a different blood vessel and has a CTO on top of that. Those patients generally don't do as well. Some fabulous new options. I wish we had more time, Dr. Bahadurani. Uh, We want to thank you so, so much for being on the show today. Sure. Thank you. 
And for more information or to listen to a podcast of this show, please go to memorialcare.org. That's all for this time. I'm Deborah Howe. Thanks for listening and have yourself a great day.